Second, First Corinthians 8 and 9. We're doing two chapters today. Put your seatbelts on. We're going to fly. And it's, it's good stuff. What we're going to see in this chapter is we're going to see how to run the race, the spiritual race that God's called us to run in such a way that we may win. First Corinthians chapter 9, at the end of the chapter, which we'll close with today, says in First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, it says, I do not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may what? Win. I don't know about you, but I like to win. If you know Pastor John, I'm a little competitive, and I like to win. I like, I play backgammon with my wife just about every night while we're watching TV, and I like to, I like to win. Uh, we were one for one last night. She won one, I won one. And then I said, let's do a rubber match. She goes, no, we're done. And it's like, no, I want to go do this. No, I want to win. We, uh, sometimes it's better to be uh, compromising in that situation, husbands, and just let it go. You could be right or you could be happy. We only, we, we let it go, one for one last night. So run in such a way that you may win. And what we're going to see today, we're going to see today in chapters 8 and 9, we're going to see four principles that will help us run our spiritual races in such a way to win. God wants us to win. Did you know that? God wants us to win. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 57, we'll get to that in a few weeks, it says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord, who? Jesus Christ. God wants us to be victors, not victims. He wants us to win. And that's why he says in Philippians 4, 13, I can do, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength, right? That's why he says in Romans chapter eight, if God be for us, who could be against us, right? And then it also says, hey, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. And so we're gonna look in the scripture on how to win, how to win. Now, the whole first chapter, chapter 8, it's kind of confusing if you don't know the context, so let me give you the context. Paul's in the midst of answering questions. We saw in 1 Corinthians 7 last week that they, they had written a letter to Paul with a series of questions. And so Paul answered questions last week, starting with questions on, on, on sex and on uh, marriage and on divorce and on being single. And remember, we saw those answers to his questions last week. Now, they're going to ask him a question, and he's going to answer the question on, what about idle meat? Idle meat? Yeah. It's a big issue in the church in Corinth. Why? Because there was idle temples all throughout the city of Corinth. There was temples to Epaphroditus, which was the god of fertility or and basically it was the God of sexuality, and, and there was temple prostitutes that would go out in the city of Corinth and raise funds. It was idol worship was rampant throughout the Roman Empire and in the city of Corinth. There was another uh, uh, temple there, the temple of Bacchus, the God of wine. And they'd be worshiping this false God of wine, and part of their worship services, they'd all get pickled together. Just pagan worship. It was wild. And here's what was happening. They'd also offer animal sacrifices to these pagan gods. And a third of the animal sacrifice would be burned to the god. Another third would go to the priest of that pagan temple. And then another third would go to the person that brought the sacrifice. But oftentimes there were so many sacrifices being brought, there was leftover meat. And so they had on these temples, these false god temples in Corinth, they had meat markets outside. And they also had, interesting, they had restaurants where you can go and you could participate and eat of the idol meat. Some of the Christians felt fine. 
Jesus said it's not what goes in a man that defiles a man, it's what comes out of his mouth, because that's out of the abundance of your, your heart, your mouth speaks. Jesus declared all food fine. So some, some of the Christians in Corinth said, no problem, we'll go and we'll get a deal on this idle meat that's left over, eat at the restaurant or go to the meat market, it's fine. But the problem was, there was younger Christians that were coming right out of those idol temples and the pagan worship. And they could be stumbled by that. Their consciences could be defiled. And not only that, if they saw the liberty of one of the uh, Christians eating at the restaurant there, if they started eating at the restaurant, they were in danger possibility of meeting some old pagan friends and then going from the restaurant back into the pagan worship. And so there was, there was a question on this. Can we eat the idol meat or can we not eat the idol meat? So let's look at our chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. If you're there, say amen. Pastor John, I'll catch up with you. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Remember the context. It's about idle meat, answering a question. And so Paul says, chapter 8, verse 1, Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. Do you know that God's more concerned about your love than your knowledge? Even said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you could have knowledge, all these gifts of knowledge, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. Nothing. Love's more important than knowledge is what Paul's saying. Verse 2, if anyone supposes that he knows anything, he's not yet known as he ought to know. Have you noticed that the more you get to know about something in a, a field or whatever else, the more you realize you got to get to know? The more I learn about the Bible, I've been studying the Bible now for 40 years, and the more I get to know it, the more I realize there's so much more to know. That's what Paul's saying. But if anyone loves God, he's what? Known by God. That's the great privilege of being a Christian. You love God, have a love relationship with God. Not only do you get to know him, you get to be known by God. The creator that flung the planets into space knows you and he loves you. Verse four, therefore concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there's no such thing as an idol in the world and there's no God but one. For even if these are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there's this, what, one God, monotheism, Judaism and Christianity, one God, the Father from whom all things and we exist for him, one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things and we exist through him. Remember Paul said in Acts 17, we live and move and have our being and we exist in him, in God. However, not all men have this knowledge, but some being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as it was sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. But, notice verse 9, take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to what? Stumble. Stumble. See what he's saying? Here's the argument. He's saying, some of you guys feel the liberty to go to these idle meat markets or idle restaurants 
and get the meat because it's probably a better deal than on the regular marketplace. Some of you have the liberty to do that. But again, what if a weaker brother who's a newer Christian comes by, sees you eating at the meat market, and, and feels the liberty now because you took the liberty to go there, and the next thing you know, his conscience is defiled, and he stumbled because of your liberty. And you go, what in the world, John, does this have to do with 21st century Calvary Chapel in Lexington, South Carolina? I mean, I, I, I kind of like Sheely's Barbecue. You know what? I do too. And it really doesn't have anything to do idol meat with us. But it has, the principle has something to do with us. And that is, as Christians, we need to be careful with our liberties because sometimes in taking our liberties that we feel free to do, we might stumble a younger brother in the Lord because we took those liberties, i.e., drinking. Some of you feel free and liberty to drink, even in restaurants around town and stuff. Fine. But what if a younger brother in the Lord sees you drinking and he's had a drinking problem and your liberty, he sees liberty there. He starts having liberty because of your liberty. Next thing you know, he's drunk again. And you stumble that brother. Be careful. Be careful. What about R-rated movies? Some Christians have no problem with R-rated movies. Some Christians would say, fine, I'm going to go see that movie. Fine, if you have that liberty, fine. But be careful because somebody seeing you coming out of an R-rated movie who's a younger brother in the Lord or a younger sister in the Lord starts going to R-rated movies, and the next thing you know, they're involved with immorality or lust again because of the stumbling block you've been in that area. So be careful with your liberties. How about dress? How about dress? You know, some of, some of you ladies say, I'm going to dress any way I want to dress. Really? The Bible talks about modesty. And sometimes when you dress immodestly. Ladies, let me just tell you, this is a guy. Sometimes when you dress immodestly, your immodesty might cause a brother to stumble because he struggles with lust, and you're causing that brother to stumble by the way you're dressing. I know I'm stepping on toes this morning, but I'm I'm just saying, just saying, there's biblical precedent for what I'm saying here, too. Be careful in these areas that in your liberties, you're not causing other people to stumble. So you want to run the race in such a way to win? First principle is live in such a way you don't stumble others because of the liberties you're taking. You know what? I don't know about you, but my eyes sweated when I saw that uh, video this morning with Billy Graham. That's a manly way of saying it. I was just about crying when I saw that video because he's one of my heroes. There was one Billy Graham, and there always will be only one Billy Graham. But you know, one of, the, one of the things that impressed me about Billy Graham more than anything, he preached to 215 million people people throughout his life in crusades. That's a, that's, no one's ever preached that many people in, in, with one ministry. But that didn't impress me as much as one other thing about Billy Graham. You know what impressed me about Billy Graham? It wasn't his preaching. It was his life. Billy Graham had a lifestyle that for 60 years was under a microscope by the press. They were trying to find dirt on Billy Graham for 60 years. And you know what? They never did. You know Why? Because there wasn't any. He was, he, was, he was a man of integrity. And it goes all the way back to 1948 when he got his whole team together. He was 31 years old. And as an evangelist, he said, we're going to start, we're going to have four principles for this ministry. And all four principles are going are gonna to be there so we don't stumble people because of the way we're living. And this was called the Modesto Manifesto. It was in a hotel room in Modesto, California. They all got together. They all signed this contract. And they said, 
Billy Graham and his team resolved to never exaggerate attendance figures at their meetings, guarding against lying and deceit. Number two, all committed, wrote a contract. We're going to take only a fixed salary from our organization. We're going to guard against financial thievery. We're never going to be alone with a woman other than our wife, mother, or daughter. That's impressive. They, they said, we will never be in, a, be in a, a, a dining situation. We'll never be in a car alone with anybody besides our, our mom, daughter, or wife. Number four, we're never going to criticize fellow members of the clergy because we're going to guard against pride. Why did they do this? Isn't this restrictive? No, it's smart. And they did this purposely because they wanted to guard against stumbling people by lifestyle choices they were making. They, had, they, 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 could have, they could have done some of these things like go out with a woman for lunch and talk business or talk shop or talk crusades with a woman by themselves, but they never did that. And they guarded themselves, and in guarding themselves, they didn't stumble people because of their lifestyles. Amen? So we need to be careful with this. We need to, if we want to run in such a way to win, the spiritual race God's called us to guard our lives by don't taking liberties that will stumble weaker brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's go on now. Chapter 9, verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you're the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine this is, do we not have a right to eat and drink? Now, I was reading through this. Five times he's going to talk about right. Right, 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 rights. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cyphus? Or do, do only Barnabas and I have a right to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? Here's what he's been saying now. He's saying, we have rights as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ to get paid. It's okay for people in ministry to get paid is what he's saying, but he's going to forego that right because in Corinth there was conflict, there was division, there was carnality, there was issues, there was people suing each other, and so they were going to let go of this right to be provided for financially because they didn't want to be questioned in their motives. They were just going to make tents with Aquila and Priscilla and not even take the right of being uh, provided for in their ministry. Verse 8, I'm not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing. God's not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for, for our sake? Yet for our sake it was written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope. The thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. Now look at this. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? No. Here's, again, Paul's building an argument. It's okay for people in full-time ministry to get paid. We have eight full-time people on our staff at Calvary Chapel. I love that we have staff that gets paid here because it means they can have a laser focus on serving you all and serving our youth and serving our kids' ministry. It's good. It's good to have staff. God's using our staff to do ministry and to have a focus on it full-time, and that's okay is what he's saying. Verse 12, if others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we do not use this, here it is again, this right, but we endure all things so that it will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services and eat the food of the temple and those who attend regularly to the altar, they share from the altar? That's talking about the Levitical priests in the Old Testament they had the right to have the tithes from the storehouse. Verse 14, so also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. But, Paul says, verse 15, I've used none of these things. 
And I'm writing these things so it will be done so in my case, for it would be better for me to die than to have any man make my boast an empty one. Look at verse 16 now. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I'm under compulsion, for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Lord, give us more people that are like Paul, that have a compulsion to preach the gospel to others. Lord, give us more people that say, I can't not share my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because I'm under compulsion. Woe is me if I don't do this. Lord, give me as the pastor of this church a compulsion to preach the gospel more and to be a greater witness for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Compulsion. He was under, there was a fire in his belly. He said, I can't not tell people about Jesus Christ whether, whether I get paid or not. I'm going to preach the gospel. Awesome. I love Paul. Verse 17, for if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me, what then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge so as not to make full use, here it is again, of my right in the gospel. Here's the second principle. You want to be used by the Lord? You want to have a life that's running the race in such a way to win? Here's a great principle. Not only should you not take liberties that will cause people to stumble, but the second principle, very clear, you want to run to win, be willing to sacrifice some of your rights at times to further the gospel of Jesus Christ and to be a witness to other people. You know, our culture is all about rights. Have you noticed that? I got my rights here in the United States. This is my right to do this. It's me, 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 me. But what did Jesus say? He said, follow me. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Deny yourself and follow me. Wow, that's counterculture. Yeah, Jesus was counterculture. And he said, sometimes disciples, if you're really going to run the race to win, you're going to have to give up some things, sacrifice some things, and not demand your rights but let go of that for the furtherance of the gospel. One of my other heroes, boy, I've lost two of my biggest heroes in my life in the last few years. Billy Graham, one of my other heroes was Pastor Chuck, founder of Calvary Chapel. What a man of God. What an example of, just like Billy Graham, 60, 70 years of incredible, 60 years at least of incredible ministry. But Pastor Chuck is amazing. As he did ministry in the Costa Mesa area, the very first Calvary Chapel, the windows of heaven opened, and God just moved. They had a three-year period. I talked to him personally about one time. He said they had a three-year period where they were baptizing 900 young people a month for three years. It's amazing. Do the math on that. And God just opened the windows of heaven, and now there's 1,800 Calvary Chapels around the world. And a lot of it has to do with the foundational leadership of Pastor Chuck. But the thing that was amazing about Pastor Chuck is this thing exploded. He had all kinds of ability to do all kinds of stuff and to be a very wealthy man, but he maintained a simple lifestyle, gave up the rights in some areas. I heard stories about Pastor Chuck. He loved fine watches. He just loved the mechanisms and everything else like that. Two different times, someone in this church gave him a Rolex watch. And both times, it got put in a drawer and he never wore them. Because he didn't want to have a $10,000 watch on his wrist, even though he loved the, the incredible, you know, incredible uh, craftsmanship of a Rolex watch. He never would wear it because he didn't want to have the, take that right, even though it's given to him, because he thought, again, it might stumble somebody when they see he's wearing a $10,000 watch on his wrist. 
Two times he was given those. He never wore them. Uh, Brian Broderson, uh, Pastor Chuck's son-in-law, shared about how Pastor Chuck loved Mercedes Benz's because they were, you know, German engineering, and he was a mechanical kind of guy, and he, he just loved cars. And one time Brian said, you know, Dad, why don't you just get a Mercedes? You're talking about, just why don't you get a Mercedes? He says, I will never own a Mercedes Benz because I, w- I will never drive a Mercedes under the church parking lot, and then people see I'm driving a, you know, Mercedes Benz. I'm, the, I'm their pastor. Never do it. And actually, he gave us some hard times about some of the Calvary Chapel pastors driving Lexuses and some other cars. And one, one time, <laughs> one of the pastors, after the, he got, we got the pastor's conference in, there was a kind of a rebuke on that stuff. That day, he went to the car dealership and traded in his Lexus, giving up rights for the furtherance of the gospel. It's important. And again, it's not legalism. It's not laying a trip on anybody else. But be careful. Be careful in demanding your rights rather than being sacrificial in the furtherance of the gospel. That's what Paul's talking about right here. So let's go with the third principle now. Verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I made myself a slave to all so that I might win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law is under the law, though not being myself under the law so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law is without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. Here's an example of this with Paul. He says, to those who are under the law, I came under the law. To those that are without the law, Gentiles, I related to them. Example of that. Paul had a disciple, ministry team disciple, called Timothy. Do you remember Timothy had a, a Jewish mom, Gentile dad. And as they started ministering to Jewish people, Paul had Timothy as an adult male get circumcised because there was Jews saying, he's Jewish, he's not circumcised. So Paul said, Timothy, you gotta get circumcised. But then Titus, another one of his disciples, another one of his pastors, was Gentile dad, Gentile mom, and some of the Jews were saying, he needs to be circumcised. Paul said, no, he's a Gentile. And so he didn't put Titus under the law because he was becoming all things to all men to win more to Christ. Does that make sense? So it says in verse 22, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, so that I might by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I might become a fellow partaker of it. Here's the next principle. You want to run the spiritual race in such a way to win, please, please, relate to those people you're trying to reach for Christ. Become all things to all people that you're trying to witness to, now, careful with this, careful with this. If you're trying to reach a bank robber, don't become a bank robber to reach a bank robber, all right? If you're trying to reach an alcoholic, don't go to the bar and get drunk with him because you're trying to reach an alcoholic. If you're trying to reach a, a, someone who's in drugs and drug addiction, don't smoke, smoke pow with them because you're going to lead them to Christ, right? If you're trying to reach somebody who's in immorality, don't become immoral with them. That's, that's called compromise. So what, what Paul's talking about here is we are to accommodate and we're to relate to non-Christians, but we're not to compromise in reaching them. See the difference? Accommodation versus compromise. But accommodation's important. If we're going to reach a generation of people out there with, for Christ, we got to get down on their level and relate to them. Remember, Jesus was called a friend of what? Sinners. He related to them. And he had some common interests with them. He liked to fish, I believe. 
He liked it when Peter was out there, and he was out there all night long, didn't catch a single fish. And then Jesus said to Peter, just throw the nets on the other side of the boat. And Peter said, duh. Oh, vey, I'm a fisherman. He's a rabbi, and he's telling me how to fish. And, and finally, he listened to Jesus. He threw the net on the other side of the boat. You remember what happened? Hundreds of fish went in the net. And Jesus is going, yeah, told you I'm a pretty good fisherman, right? He probably had like a little like hook on his hair at that point. No, I'm just kidding. But he related. He related. And we need to relate to people. We need to become all things to all men so that we could lead them to Christ. Accommodation, not compromise. The guy that led me to Christ, talk about him all the time, his name's Bruce Barkley. Love the guy. I didn't like him when he was witnessing to me, though. You know why? Because the guy was telling me about Jesus, I was lost as a rock, he was telling me about Jesus, and my problem was, he was cool. He was cool. He was an all-American gymnast on our gymnastics team, best guy on the team, and Iceman. I mean, he, when everybody else was falling off and wiping out, he would, man, he, would st- he was incredible. He was not only an all-American gymnast, but he went on to become a captain of the gymnastics team at Arizona State. He also played competitive tennis. He could have gotten a full ride scholarship in tennis at a Division I school also. Incredible athlete. Not only that, he was cool. He rode motorcycles. This is before a lot of people rode. He rode motorcycles. And he jumped off a cliff and rock climbed and repelled. And I'm going, man, I'm having such a hard time with you because, you know, you're telling me about Jesus. I don't want to listen to you, but you're cool. You're cool. It's driving me crazy. Until I came to Christ. And I realized part of what Bruce was doing those things for was to relate to people and use those common interests to lead people like me to Jesus Christ. To become all things to all men to win more to Christ. Amen? We need to have some more common interests with people. You know what? My boys are not happy with me right now. I got three boys, especially my youngest, who's still at Clemson, and he said, Dad, Dad, you're having Gamecocks come to the Easter sunrise service, and we're all tigers. And I don't even like Jake Bentley. And I I didn't say this to him, but inside I said, I really don't care. I'm going to become all things, even Gamecock, to win all people to Christ. And if they're willing to come and share their faith with uh, 2,000 people on Sunday morning, hey, Easter sunrise morning, I'm a, I'm a Gamecock, baby. I'm a Gamecock. Oh, I got some Gamecocks clapping for me right now. Becoming all things to all men to win people to Christ. And these guys have a testimony, so we're going to have them share it. And I don't think my sons are going to come home for the Easter sunrise service, but God bless them. <laughs> right? That's the principle of accommodation. If God's going to use people, and, and let's, let's relate to people. Hey, and where do we live? We don't live in Clemson. We live in, in Gamecock territory here. So we're going to have Gamecocks come and share their faith. Pretty cool. Let's close up the chapter now. Verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Look at this. Run in such a way that you, here's our verse, you may what? Win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things, and they then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, run in such a way, not without aim, box in such a way, not beating the air, but discipline my body, I discipline my body, make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be what? Disqualified. Hmm. 
Now, interesting, interesting. I think Paul was a sports fan. Why do I say that? I think he had a real interest in athletics because over and over again through his writings, he uses uh, sports analogies. I'll give you just a few. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, a racing, a track racing analogy. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. He also had a wrestling analogy in Ephesians 6.12. He says, for our struggle, another version says, for our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. He had a boxing illustration, 2 Timothy 4.7. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Now this last principle he's using here about running the race to win, very important. Want to run the race to win, you've got to practice discipline and self-control. Want to be successful in anything, you've got to practice discipline, right? But especially in the spiritual life. That's why Paul and Timothy, when we get to it, he's going to say this. Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, right? Discipline and self-control, mandatory, if we're going to run the race in such a way to win. Look at verse 25 and 27 again. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, we an imperishable. Verse 27, but I discipline my body, make it my slave, so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Now, in Corinth at the time, they had the second largest athletic games in the Roman Empire. It was called the Isthmian Games. The only thing that was a bigger competition was the Olympics in Athens. And these athletes that would come in for the Isthmian Games, they would, they, would, they would train for 10 months, disciplined training, disciplined in their diet, disciplined in their, their workouts, disciplined in their self-control, guarding themselves for 10 months to be successful, to win a wreath. And if they won their race or they won their athletic game, here's what they'd get. They'd get at the judge's bema seat, they'd get a wreath put on their head, and then they'd get a plaque on the gate of their city that would memorialize the fact that they're a winner for the rest of the, the time they were in that city. And then check this out. And then also, they would never have to pay taxes ever again in that city. Wouldn't that be cool? I think I'd become an athlete immediately. Never have to pay taxes again. But if it was found out that you were training for the Isthmian Games and you didn't train your 10 months, didn't exercise self-control, and you were representing your city, you'd be disqualified right there. They wouldn't even let you compete. So what Paul is saying, Christians, we're not competing for a perishable wreath. We're not competing for a plaque on the gate of a city. We're competing for the glory of God and the furtherance of his kingdom. We're competing for eternal wreaths or rewards, crowns. And so Christians, please, please, be disciplined. Guard your life. Guard your heart. Guard your mind. Exercise self-control. Be careful. Because if you don't, you could be disqualified. Now, what does that mean? It means, does it mean you're going to go to hell and you're going to lose your salvation? No, not necessarily. Disqualified means you're not going to be useful anymore for the kingdom of God. And that's a scary thought. I wrote down four names this week pastors of Calvary Chapels that I love. Great men of God that taught the word so well. Built great churches. 
Had some of them even come to our men's conference here. I had one of them that I love, men's conference here. All four of these pastors. One of the pastors pastored the largest Calvary chapel in the world at the time. All four of these pastors, I wrote their names down this week, are no longer pastors. They're disqualified. They're on the shelf. And probably, all four of them probably will never be in the ministry again. It breaks my heart. Because God was using them mightily. But they weren't careful. They weren't careful in the liberties they were taking. They weren't careful in the self-control and the decisions they were making. And they got into immorality. They got into addictions. And they're disqualified. Breaks my heart. And I was looking at those names this week. And I was speaking to myself, self-talk. John, but by the grace of God, there go you. And John... He who thinks he stands, better take heed, lest he stumble. And the Lord gave me a wake-up warning call and said, re-up on your commitment to your disciplines, your spiritual disciplines, re-up, re-up to your walk with, walk with me, the Lord was telling me, and be careful, be careful. Exercise self-control, guard your heart, your mind, your associations, be careful, because personally, I want to be like Pastor Chuck and Billy Graham. I want to serve until the Lord takes me home. I don't want to be on the sidelines disqualified because of bad choices. And listen, you don't want to either. Listen, I don't care if you're a pastor or not a pastor. If you're a Christian, you've got a race to run. You've got a life, lives to impact. You're a part of this gospel cause. Don't get disqualified. Be careful. We're all just one dumb decision away from being disqualified. Amen? So be careful, be disciplined, be self-controlled, be people of the word, people of the spirit. Stay in church, stay in Bible study, stay close with your associations with godly people and don't get off track. Amen? Four things, four principles, live in such a way that you're gonna win. Don't, don't take liberties that are gonna cause other people to stumble. Second principle, if you're gonna run a race to win, be willing to even sacrifice some rights for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sacrificial. Take up your cross and deny yourself. Don't demand rights all the time. Number three, if you're going to run such a way that you're going to win, be willing to relate to people you're trying to reach. Become all things to all men. That doesn't mean compromise, but it does mean accommodate. And number four, very important, very important, exercise discipline and self-control and stay in those spiritual disciplines and be careful. Amen? Hey, and if you're here this morning and you're saying, well, I'm not even in the race. I had this stuff kind of going over the head right here. He did two whole chapters today. I want to get to lunch. Anyways, (laughs) some of you here this morning and you've never opened your heart to Christ. And what I would say to you this morning, get in the race. God loves you. God's got a hope and a future and a plan for your life. All he's asking you to do is to open your heart to him. See, we all got a problem. We got a problem. And the problem is, Romans 3.23, all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's a problem. And there's a penalty for that sin. Romans 6.23 says the wages of our sin is death. But here's the good news. The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And the provision is this. But God demonstrates his own love for us. That while we're yet sinners, look at this. Christ died for us. But if his death is going to pay for your sin, 
then there's got to be a, a plan of redemption in your life. And that plan begins by this, one simple thing. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. The Bible says, but as many as received him, he gives the right to become children of God. Receive. And you'll become a child of God. And if you haven't done that yet, hey, today's your day. Do it. The Bible says Jesus is knocking on the door of hearts. There might be some hearts here that need to open up to that love. And let me tell you something. I did that almost 40 years ago. Changed my life. Never regretted that decision. Best decision I ever made is to open my heart to God's love and receive Christ. So if you're here this morning haven't done that yet, do it today. I'll lead you in a prayer during the prayer time, and all I'm going to ask you to do is raise your hand and say, Pastor John, pray for me, and I'll pray for you to receive Christ, and Christ will come in your heart. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word this morning. It is living and active. It is sharper than a two-edged sword, Lord. Thank you, God, that your word judges the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts and gives us the ability to be fed spiritually. We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth, God. And now, Father, help us not to just to be hearers of your word, but doers. Help us to be people that are running the race, the spiritual race we have to win. Help us to be people that aren't, are flaunting our freedom in such a way that we're stumbling other people. Help us to be people, too, Lord, that are willing to even give up some rights, be sacrificial at times, so that we could further the gospel with those, with those sacrifices, as Paul did in working in Corinth, rather than uh, just receiving wages from the uh, Corinthians, Lord. Help us to be people, too, that are relating to people that are lost. Help us not to be pushing people away. Help us not to be a stumbling block, but a stepping stone for people to come to Christ, Lord. And Father, please, please, Lord, give us the ability to have wisdom in these unwise days. Give us the ability to practice discipline, discipline, spiritual disciplines, and self-control. Help us to guard our thoughts, our minds, our association, our lifestyles. Help us to be careful because the devil is actively seeking to destroy us. But Jesus, you said that you have come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And now, Father, I pray for anybody that might be in the room here this day, this Sunday, that hasn't opened their heart to you yet, God. You say in your word that you're standing at the door of their heart and you're knocking, God, and you love them. And you want them to to receive you as king, as savior, as Lord. If you're here this morning, you want me to pray for you, just to receive Christ. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor John, pray for me to receive Christ because I want God's love in my heart. I want God's, God's forgiveness. I want to know God and be known by him. If you're here this morning and you want to do that this morning, just raise your hand right now, and I'd love to pray for you right now. Just go ahead and raise your hand right now, and I'll pray for you to receive Christ and to open your heart up and receive that forgiveness and that mercy and that love that God wants to give to you this day. So if you're here this morning, you want me to pray for you, raise your hand right now, right now, anybody. Love to pray for you this morning. God loves you. He's got a hope and a future for you but you need to confess him as Lord and as Savior this morning. If you've never done that, here's your opportunity. Don't pass it up. God wants to to forgive you and give you a whole new life in him. Anybody here this morning? Just raise your hand and I'll pray for you this morning. Don't be ashamed to do this. Jesus died for you publicly. He loves you. Praise the Lord right here in the back. Best decision you've ever made in your life. Keep that hand up and I'll pray for you in just one second. Anybody else? If you want to receive Christ, just raise your hand right now and I'll pray for you 
right now. God, I think God might be knocking on a couple more doors. If you're here and you want me to pray for you, just raise your hand right now and I'll pray for you. Praise the Lord right back here. Praise God. Great decision. Christ is going to forgive you. Another one back there in the theater seats. Praise the Lord. Okay, for those that have their hands raised right now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to keep your hands raised and I want you to stand up. Stand up right there in the back. See, young lady, just keep your hand up right here. You know, young lady, right back here. And I'll, let's pray for these three individuals right now, too. That, just pray this prayer out loud with me right now. Lord Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sin. Lord Jesus, I confess you as my Lord. And I believe in my heart that you, you were raised from the dead. Lord Jesus, I receive you, and I will live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.